in the end, it removes you from what I believe, Matt, is the key. That's where I think religions go wrong. The key is that each of us as individuals has a personal opportunity to have a relationship with God. Come along on a journey toward wisdom. The seeker takes spirituality seriously, takes their belief in a higher power seriously, and pursues that truth. This is Seeker with Dave Jenks. I'm Matt Hayes. Dave, in our last podcast, we talked a lot about science and what we know and and how it plays into our day-to-day life. Today, we're going to get into more on the spiritual side and talking a little bit about religion. We're doing all the topics that you're not supposed to talk about at a dinner party. So let's start with let's start with this question to you. Dave, do you believe in God? Absolutely. All right. That's our podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> it's really funny, Matt, because people always start with that question. And my answer to them usually is, or would be if it was a serious, if I thought the question were serious, uh, it would be, well, what do you mean by God? Give me your definition of God, and I'll tell you whether I believe in that. The smart answer for anybody is yes. It comes from Pascal's wager. Blaise Pascal, 200 years ago, said four things can happen. You can believe in God, and there is a God, so you're golden. You're good. You can believe in God and there isn't a God, eh, okay, no harm. Or you cannot believe in God and there is no God, so no harm. Or you can not believe in God and there is a God and you're cooked. The smart answer for anybody to the question about God is, yes, I believe. Now, I think the thing that it comes down to, though, for discussion with people and where we want to take this more seriously, Matt, is what do you mean by God and what is it that you believe in and how did you come to those beliefs? I mean, fundamentally, you can be an atheist. I believe there is no God, an agnostic. I have no clue about anything and I'm not going to even ask. Uh, You can be a deist, which says there was a creator and a God, but probably isn't directly involved in creating supernatural events. Or you can be a theist that says God created everything and is intimately involved in everything that goes on is kind of moving the chess pieces. So which one of those are you? Well, I've really tell you where I've come, Matt. I've come to be what's called a modern deist, a soft or a warm deist. And what that means is that I believe there was a creator when you go in science and you look at the miraculous nature of the universe and the formation of the earth and the creation of life and the evolution of life and the evolution of intelligent life. You look at all that complexity and it's very hard to not see the hand of some creator with an intention in it. Now, I've also come to believe that you can access that intention, that God, that higher power. That power is not manipulating things. I don't believe that. I don't believe it's making things happen. I believe there's natural laws that were established at the beginning of the universe that play out, and we have to live within those natural laws and learn about them, which is what science is. But I also think there are spiritual laws, and the pursuit we are on is to be in touch with and in sync with those spiritual laws. I mean, fundamentally, that's where I am. I want to talk to you a little bit about your journey of discovering all of this for yourself personally in a minute, but I want to talk about how people in general come to their own beliefs into spirituality and of religion. Where do we get our religious beliefs? How does this all come about? Is there kind of a path that people normally take? There is, Matt, and that raises a lot of questions because most of us believe in and are part of a religion that we were raised with. So whatever our parents are, we were. And then we get adopted to that and we 
believe like that. And particularly as a child, we're very open to stories and things that cause us to believe. And we believe in those things. Now, I I don't want to be cynical here because I deeply believe that if people and people close to me believe this, that the religion they were raised on is the one that's true and they believe in it and it's holy work, it's holy Bible, and that's how they live. And they live and they call that faith. I just believe this is true. I believe live according to it. That's my faith. I can't question that. I can't personally question that. And I honor it. I respect it as long as it doesn't cause them to do some harm to me, like they should kill me because I'm not part of their religion or they should treat me badly because I believe something else. Most people, including myself, were raised in a religion, learned that religion, and stay with that religion. And I think only those of us that are seekers begin to really seek out, why do we believe what we believe? Is it true? Is there something else that might be true? What do other people believe? And then come to our own beliefs. Now, the other part that happens, Matt, and this happens for a lot of kids when they start to become adults, teenagers, college age, that they get very cynical. All this stuff they were taught in their religious upbringing doesn't to them make sense or seem true. And other people question it. Intellects, scholars, you know, their professors around them make fun of it. And then they start to, they can't defend it. And then they just get alienated from it. And I don't think that's a good thing. I mean, I think it just it flips them and they aren't any more thoughtful being a an agnostic or an atheist than they were being a person just accepting what they were taught as a kid. So I think there's a process for a seeker. And here we are talking about seeker. And I think a seeker takes spirituality seriously, takes their belief in a higher power seriously and pursues that truth. While many people might believe in a religion or a set of beliefs that is believed around the world, most people, I think, when they think of religion, they instantly think of, they might think about the local element of it. They might think about their local connection to it. What is the role of the local churches and these organizations that we see around the world that people are part of? And is it a good thing or is it a bad thing that they are here? It's been a powerful thing. I think in general, it's been a powerful thing because it's drawn people together into a community. I know as I traveled around the United States, every little small town I go in has multiple churches. And it isn't so much the fact that of which churches are there, it's the fact that there are churches. And what we find is people use the church as a place to gather and connect socially. They care about each other. They come once a week or more together to pray and think of higher thoughts and to treat each other well. They treat members of their congregation with respect and they help them out when they're in trouble or illness. So there's a lot of building of community, Matt, that happens at the local level of churches. I think the biggest problem with organized religion is when it gets bureaucratic, when it starts to go up to these hierarchies. I mean, that's really what Martin Luther spoke out against. He spoke out against the Catholic Church. He said, this isn't what Christ taught. Christ taught a personal relationship with God, not through a priest, not through the church. He didn't say you had to give money to the church to be saved. In fact, he struck out against that at the temple. And so Martin Luther raised this question about the big bureaucracy. And of course, the big bureaucracies continued. And so many, many churches, even local evangelical churches, will get very big and very bureaucratic and have all kinds of staff and they'll ask for all kinds of money and they'll build big buildings. And it's not that that's inherently wrong to think big cathedrals are gorgeous places. I mean, great works of art. So some wonderful things have come from this. But in the end, it removes you from what I believe, Matt, is the key. That's where I think religions go wrong. The key is that each of us as individuals has a personal opportunity to have a relationship with God. 
with our higher power, with the universe. And we can share this and we can talk about it with each other and share beliefs about it. But the point is we each get to do it individually, not at the dogma or the teachings of a particular church. Now, we know in our day and age, it can go even a little further in the wrong direction. And that's where the church starts to, as it did in our country, kill witches, or where it goes and has an inquisition, or where it goes and sends out terrorists to kill other people in the name of Allah, in the name of the God. And so anytime that happens, Matt, it's where religion goes awry. And I think that's because it becomes driven by people who are trying to get others to do things that they would not otherwise do on their own. You mentioned about how everybody has their own personal journey, an exploration into their own religious beliefs and spirituality. I want to ask you about yours. What path have you followed in making your decisions over time? And, and has that changed from you know when you were younger and, and just learning about God? Of course it has. And I began in a Christian home. Uh, Methodist as it was. I you know, absorbed that. I was a curious kid, as I've said before. Uh, I asked a lot of questions. My Sunday school teachers were not very suited to answer them. They didn't have the depth of knowledge or the way of articulating it. So I found their answers lacking and I wasn't sure about it. But the more and more I studied the Bible and the more and more I studied the life of Jesus Christ, the more I became enamored with it. And I almost, Matt, in my late college years and going on into graduate school, almost went into the ministry. And it was because I cared about the message of people caring about each other. I cared about Christ's message that you could have a personal relationship with God. That was what it was. There was a the way, the truth, and the light. It was through this idea of a personal relationship with God and that he, as the Son of God, had come to help us forgive our sins. And I think letting go and forgiving yourself of things or knowing you are forgiven or that you at least you're cared about was a very powerful idea and that people would do good things for each other. And so I got very enamored with that. But then I realized that my own seeker nature probably would not suit me well to be a person over here espousing a, a specific religion. So I went on and I, I did a, a bunch of studies at the graduate level in comparative religions. So I got to understand Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and a bunch of others and, and Catholicism versus Protestantism. And the more I studied, the more I realized that clearly no one had the right answer that there wasn't just one answer that was obvious to everyone. Certainly the belief in a, a deity made a lot of sense to me, but then it went both ways because on the one hand, I could see the miracle of life and science and believe in a creator, even the more I studied the science. And on the other hand, I could see that bad things happen to good people, that churches would get blown up in a hurricane or, or in a tornado and young people would be killed. And so I, I went around and said, well, you know, there can't be a God who's controlling this, not a God I would believe in, because look at all the mayhem and destruction that happens. And so that turned me to be a bit of a cynic. And then I, I think I got so focused in my own career and in my own work that I sort of let it all go. And I went through this long period of time of really just not having, or not being on any kind of a spiritual practice or a spiritual journey until I came to this point in my life, uh, Matt, when I had this big void, I knew there was this emptiness, there was this sense of hollowness, the sense of being a face man, not having depth. And as part of that, I was drinking and smoking. And so I was kind of doing these addictions, I think, as a distraction or a, or a way to calm myself down or try and settle myself. And I really, through a friend, ended up going to Alcoholics Anonymous. And that brought me back in touch with God, with my 
spiritual connection because in the 12-step process, the first three steps are just about recognizing you got a problem you can't deal with. Number two is there's probably a higher power that can help you. And three, turning that problem and your life over to the care of that higher power. Now they say God as you understand him. So they use in AA the word God, but they mean as you understand him. They don't have a theocracy. They don't have a, a way to define all these things and they don't have dogma and rituals. So anyway, that led me because what happened was the alcoholism got taken away. And not only did it get taken away as I fessed up things in my life that are part of that, part of that process, I released those and I started to feel freer and more open and more at ease with myself and my life. And then I became even more optimistic and I began to study this. And I would say then the path since then, Matt, has been a real journey of reading spiritual books that are not based in a particular specific religion, but are about the exploration of a relationship with a higher power, the existence of a higher power in our universe, in our world, and in our human lives, and getting more and more, in my sense, in touch with what that is. So in our last podcast, we talked a lot about science and the proof of existence of our universe and planet and life and the science behind why we're all here. We're talking about spirituality and, and on a bigger level of feelings and connections with a bigger being, a bigger spirit that's out there. Does science contradict spiritual belief and religion? Do we have scientific proof that proves that there is a higher power? I think we do. That would be controversial among scientists because they would say, well, no, all of this is just an outcome of a natural process that began 13.7 billion years ago with the Big Bang. And I would go, and what was the Big Bang? Hello? And what was there before the Big Bang? Hello? So what generated this that has now 13.7 billion years later created this massive universe with over 100 billion galaxies and 100 billion stars in each galaxy and the complexity of life down at the molecular level, atomic, the subatomic? the quantum physics level that we've come to understand. And when all of that has happened, and now we can see that all of a sudden out of all of this inorganic material came life, organic material. And you can't tell me how that happened. You can't. You're a great scientist. You've studied all this stuff. You really have it. You got it inside now. You got all the stats. You got all the numbers. You can't tell me. You can't even make it happen. You can't take a bunch of inorganic material, stick it in a little Petri dish or a lab or somewhere and hit it with electricity or some big cyclotron or whatever, and then have life pop up, have DNA happen. You can't do that. You can't even tell me how that happened. If there's all these holes in science that would only be true if something else bigger caused it, some other higher intelligence. Even when you look at the universe, as we said in science, I'll just hit it lightly, there are six key numbers, Matt, that if any one of those numbers was even slightly different from what it is, there wouldn't be stars and galaxies, and there wouldn't be Earth, and there wouldn't be life. So it's like this universe is so created, so supportive to create life. And now we've evolved into being even intelligent life. Where does consciousness come from? Where out of all of this, even organic material, does the idea of being able to think about things and ask questions and do what we're doing, where does that come from? Where does great literature come from? It comes from a magical place. Stephen King just pulls it out of thin air. I mean, it comes out of his spirit, out of his nature, as does other great authors. So we're constantly confronted with things that are inspiring and that we don't know where they come from. They're virtually magical. And so for me, in that whole realm, Matt, science says, yes, there is a higher intelligence. There is a higher power. Now, I'll take it to one level further, I think, because that's why I think the pursuit is both scientific and spiritual. At the same time, they're parallel. We're all seekers. 
We're trying to understand things. Science more focused on the natural world, spiritual seeking more on the higher level of relationship to a higher power, but they're parallel. Here's an interesting thing. It's called quantum entanglement. And it set Einstein off. He couldn't believe this could possibly be true. But there are particles at the quantum level that are connected to each other, and they always are connected to each other. And so if one spins in one direction, the other spins in the opposite direction. These two related particles. Now you can separate them by miles. They've separated them by a hundred miles. And you change the spin on one and the other one changes instantly. Instantly. They've measured it. There's no time for any information by what we know, by the speed of light. Speed of light would never make it that far. And yet it instantly changes. Those two are tied together. What does that mean? There's a scientist who calls it the Akashic field. There is another field of reality that's below the quantum level, underneath everything. He calls it the Akashic field, where it's the exchange of information. And at that level, everything is connected instantly. It's why we can know what happens. And so there's some of the things that happen where somebody just intuitively knows that something happened to a friend of theirs. Some of that is coincidence. I get that. And the skeptics will point out that. But some of it is awfully hard to explain. So I think, Matt, that our science is leading us to this idea. First of all, we, all, we know we're all one. We're all made of the same stuff. All the strings, that the little energy strings that started out and became atoms, we're all made of stardust. We are all made of the same DNA. And ours may be uniquely varied to us to create this uniqueness of us as human beings. But the truth is, we are really, at the physical level, we are all one. We're connected to a why not one deeper level where we're all connected in the world of thought and connection. So all I would say, Matt, about this is, no, I don't believe in any way. I think science does disprove a bunch of religious teachings that tried to simplify things and tell stories about them that made it like true, like the world was created in seven days or all the animals were created at once as they are now and all of that. And we know that it's taken a long time and it's been through evolution. So science has shown that's not true. However, there's a lot of things that science says that makes me say there is a higher intelligence, there's a higher power. And the final thing I would just say on this, Matt, is my own life experience is you can connect to that power. Two-part question. First off, with so many of the things that you've taught us over the years, you've taught us about systems and tools and paths. So first off, is there kind of a, a criteria or a, a right way to go on a, a someone's personal spiritual truth and journey? Is there a, a, a way and tips or even like a guide for someone to take and to go down to discover their own personal spiritual truths? And is there a way, even though we kind of all have our own individual stories. Is there a way that we can all combine and work together with our own individual spiritual truths, even though we might be all very different and unique in our own way here in America and everywhere around the world? Matt, I think the answer to the, the first one is what we do is we take the path of the seeker. We take the path of the curious. We take the path of the person who really wants to figure it out, who wants to know. They don't jump to assumptions and conclusions. They aren't easily sold. So there's the science part of it, the seeker part. You're skeptical when someone tries to sell you a bill of goods or say, believe in this and your life will be good and all of that. We don't automatically say they're wrong, but we question it and we're skeptical. So I think, first of all, a skeptical attitude, but the other one is an 
optimistic attitude, I think that you're always looking for the positive possibility, for the abundance of life, for the choices that we have, for the inherent nature we have to get bigger, stronger, smarter, bigger bandwidth, build more skills. See, I think when we live out our human nature, when we become the best person we can be or we were intended to be, when we follow up that Maslow hierarchy of needs and we once we've settled on survival issues and we get to more comfort and security issues and we work our way up and we build relationships that are positive and then we accomplish things by giving to others or serving others or doing good things in the world that's the esteem level and then ultimately we have this feeling that we are fully expressing the greatest version of the grandest vision of who we really are see I think that was implanted in us. So I think it's a personal journey because I think we're all unique and we have to take this journey ourselves. Now we can go to the second part of it. We can do it with each other. We can reach out. We can have these discussions. We can show love and compassion. We can ask questions. We can debate without calling the other person stupid or names or putting them down or treating them badly. I think we really absolutely need to show respect for each individual and we make our own decision about whether we think they're thinking clearly or not, but they get to think and express what they get to think and express. And I think the final thing, Matt, in this whole idea of, a, I'm going to call it a new religion, I mean, a new spirituality. By the way, it is the fastest growing practice in the United States for sure. And that is warm deism. The idea of an unaffiliated, although you may be part of a church, that your beliefs are unaffiliated and they do believe in a higher power, in a God, and you believe you can have a relationship with them. I read a piece of research that said that's the fastest growing segment. It doesn't have a name except to call it warm deism. But the point of it is, it's people who are on this path of searching for higher level answers and being open to truth and not coming at it with a predetermined conception of where it's going. But on the other hand, the sharing of a belief of what's important, because a lot of the things that are taught in our religious beliefs are fundamentals of actually social values, which we'll talk about on our next session. They're really about rules of how we should treat each other. And those ethical, social rules of engagement are very important. And if they happen to get wrapped up in the discussion of a relationship to a higher power and the feeling that that higher power is supporting or encouraging things to go in a certain direction, because I think that's fundamentally what we're looking for. When we look at the history of life and growth and intelligence, is it moving in a direction that this higher power is sort of guiding it, pushing it, not lockstep steering it, but pushing it? And what would those laws be and how would we be in step with those higher laws? See, I think that's the level of discussion. If we come to that, Matt, with love in our hearts and openness in our minds and engage in that activity, I think we'll take humanity to a higher level of spiritual being. To hear other episodes, go to DaveJinks.com.